everyone, and welcome to the DC Debrief for Friday, November 3rd, 2023. I'm your host, John Stolness, and coming up, this week I sat down with Republican Congressman Mike Collins of Georgia to talk about his first year in Congress, funding Israel and Ukraine, and his humorous use of social media to get through the speaker drama. Also, the latest on Israel funding, hearings on threats to the homeland, and a lot, lot more here on this edition of the DC Debrief. Again, a friendly reminder, everyone, to tell a friend or a family member about the DC Debrief. This is the only news podcast that I know of where you're going to get to hear everything that happened that that week in Washington without any opinion from the host. I'm just going to bring you the news and the information, and we'll let you figure out what to do with it. But that's what we do here at the DC Debrief. So if that's your cup of tea, tell your friends and your family members about us. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify wherever it is you get your podcast and we'll also bring you some stories and uh, some hearings and some details on some things we really try to focus on the things that are going to affect you your pocketbook your dinner table the stuff that you really care about and so uh, we'll aim to do that as well here on this podcast too all right let's get into the dc debrief for this week Israel latest. The ground war in Gaza has begun, although slowly and methodically. This as Americans trapped in Gaza slowly start to make their way out. CBN News Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell has the latest. For the first time since the war began, foreign nationals, including Americans, are getting out of Gaza. The U.S. State Department is helping the U.S. citizens there. In the past 24 hours, we have informed U.S. citizens and their family and family members with whom we are in contact that they will be assigned specific departure dates. The State Department says there are about a thousand American citizens and family members in the Gaza Strip. Working nonstop to get Americans out of Gaza as soon and as safely as possible. This is the result of intense and urgent American diplomacy with our partners in the region. President Joe Biden also called for a humanitarian pause in the fighting. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is departing for Israel and Jordan Thursday as international criticism of Israel builds. Jordan recalled its ambassador, and some are concerned the U.S. will ask Israel to stop its ground campaign. On the ground, the Israeli military announced it's at the gates of Gaza City. Soldiers and tanks are seen in this Israeli Defense Forces video as operations intensify inside Gaza. The IDF says dozens of Hamas targets, including observation posts, anti-tank squads and launchers, vessels and military outposts have been destroyed. Israeli leaders are warning this new phase of the war will be long and difficult. Turkey and Iran's foreign ministers met Wednesday in a show of solidarity. Iran's foreign minister says the region is on the brink. Undoubtedly, if the war isn't stopped immediately, the United States of America, the fake regime of Israel, and the supporters of the continuation of the war crimes will be directly responsible for the situation in the region getting out of hands. Some 240 people, including Americans, are still being held hostage by Hamas. A Hamas official in Lebanon declared they would repeat October 7th. He said, Israel is a country that has no place on our land. We must remove that country because it constitutes a security, military and political catastrophe to the Arab and Islamic nation and must be finished. We are not ashamed to say this with full force. It is Israel, not us. We are the victims of the occupation, period. Therefore, nobody should blame us for the things we do. On October 7th, October 10th, October millionth, everything we do is justified. 
On Wednesday, members of Israel's Knesset watched the raw footage from the October 7th massacre. Many left the auditorium overwhelmed and weeping. Chris Mitchell, CBN News, Jerusalem. This week, CBN News Capitol Hill correspondent Matt Galka sat down with Republican Senator Katie Britt after she and a bipartisan group of senators traveled to Israel for a firsthand look at the situation. When we sat down with the families of the people who are being held hostage, I sat in that room not as a United States senator, but as I listened, I listened as a mother and I listened as a wife and a daughter and a sister, knowing the unimaginable tragedy that they were expressing to us. Senator Britt says those meetings remain with her as she and other lawmakers prepare an aid package to help Israel. Britt says in listening to victims and seeing the images, she believes she's seen pure evil when it comes to Hamas. The videos that were taken by the Hamas terrorist show that there is pure evil um, that exists, and it exists right there. Because uh, I am a believer that people of all religions can coexist um, peacefully and with prosperity, but I do not believe that good can coexist with evil, because I believe when evil raises its head, we must look it in the eyes and we must take it down. Britt joins a growing chorus of bipartisan lawmakers calling on the Biden administration to increase pressure on Iran with sanctions and freezing assets. She also supports the U.S. defensive strikes like those targeting Iranian-backed militant groups in Syria late last week. And we have to actually achieve peace through strength. There are some deterrents, obviously, that the president has put there um, outside the coast of, of Israel, and I appreciate those efforts. We've got to make sure that um, as we are seeing these strikes occur, particularly if they come onto military bases of the U.S., that we respond with defensive strikes. Should the U.S. be providing humanitarian aid to Gaza? So I met with the Israeli ambassador, and obviously they are doing food, water, and medicine um, as dictated by international law. Um, we have to make sure that we don't give aid that will go to, into Hamas's hands. And, th and that seems like a tall task, though. The Palestinian people are not the enemy of America or not the enemy of Israel. It is Hamas. It is radical terrorists um, who, are, who brutally slaughtered innocent Israelis and Americans. That, that is, and, and they're not just that. Hamas is actually the enemy of the innocent people of Gaza. And so when we take Hamas out, when, when Hamas is taken out, ultimately that's, that's going to be good for the people of Gaza and their ability to leave a, lead a free and prosperous life. Senator Britt sits on the Senate Appropriations Committee, and just this week, they started hearing about and taking up the $106 billion defense request from the White House that includes aid to Israel. Here in Washington on Thursday night, House Republicans, as well as a handful of Democrats, 12 of them, passed a nearly $14.5 billion aid package to Israel, standalone legislation that contains a pay-for, an identical reduction in funds to the Internal Revenue Service. Republicans like Congressman Mike Lawler say it's to keep our national debt from growing larger. It costs money and we have to pay for it. So to oppose this simply because you don't like the fact that there is an offset 
is absurd. And House Speaker Mike Johnson says paying for what we spend just makes sense to ordinary Americans who have to do the same thing every day. We have obligations and we have commitments and we want to protect our, our, and help and assist our friend uh, Israel, but we have to keep our own house in order as well. And I- However, Democrats like Steny Hoyer agrees with the Congressional Budget Office that depriving the IRS of funds to go after tax cheats will end up costing the government revenue, and it will tell our adversaries that aid to our allies is conditional. How ironic. How perverse. The only thing this bill offsets is America's reputation and the world's greatest defender, of democracy. Meanwhile, the Senate wants to group together funding for Israel with money for Ukraine and the southern border and a couple other items. Secretary of State Blinken and Defense Secretary Austin testified before a Senate hearing on the need to address all these issues. And CBN News national security correspondent Caitlin Burke has the details on that. The Biden administration stresses these conflicts are connected in terms of U.S. national security. So our response must be as well. For our adversaries, uh, be they states or non-states, um, this is all one fight. And we have to respond in a way that recognizes that. If we start to peel off pieces uh, of this package, they'll see that. They'll understand that we are playing whack-a-mole uh, while they cooperate increasingly. As an example, Secretary of State Antony Blinken pointed out Iran has provided Russia with weapons for its war in Ukraine. Now, Russia is also hosting Hamas, Iran's proxy, and the terror group behind the attack on Israel. Both secretaries believe the next move from the U.S. will be a critical factor in what happens next. What happens in Ukraine, what happens in the Middle East also matters for the Indo-Pacific. The Biden administration wants Congress to pass an emergency funding package, which would include more than $61 billion for Ukraine and $14 billion for Israel. There's also money in the package earmarked for humanitarian aid, Indo-Pacific security assistance, and U.S. border protection. We need to address all of these priorities as part of one package because the reality is these issues are all connected and they are all urgent. The Chinese government is watching how we respond to Putin's aggression in Ukraine. Putin is hoping the Hamas attack will give him an opening and distract the world from aiding Ukraine against his brutal invasion. And all of our adversaries are watching closely to see whether we have the vision to recognize how these crises are related and the resolve to come together and respond forcefully to them. Meanwhile, attacks on U.S. forces serving in both Syria and Iraq also came up in Tuesday's hearing. If this doesn't stop, then we will respond. And so uh, we remain, we maintain the, uh, the right to respond. We have the capability to do that. And we will respond at a time and place of our choosing. If the House's standalone bill gets to President Biden's desk, the president has said that he will veto it. Also, Secretary of State Blinken is in the region This weekend, for more talks and visits with Israel and others, meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and other Israeli officials on Friday morning. And he'll again be there throughout the weekend. Mayorkas and Ray threats hearing. We've seen an increase in the number of threats against Jewish people and a general rise in anti-Semitism even before the war in the Middle East started, but it's been rising to a fever pitch, as have threats to Muslims over the last few weeks. At a Senate hearing this week, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and FBI Director Chris Ray testified about the dangers we're facing, all of this rhetoric that's been building, and some of the threats that have been made as well. CBN News White House Correspondent 
correspondent Abigail Robertson with more on that. Lone actors, homegrown violent extremists inspired by foreign terrorist organizations uh, are in many ways the biggest threat we face here in the homeland. FBI Director Christopher Wray also admits the gaps in U.S. intelligence are real. Well, what would you tell Americans right now about the threat today as compared to before? This is not a time for panic, but it is a time for vigilance. Uh, we shouldn't stop conducting our daily lives, going to schools, houses of worship, uh, and so forth, but we should be vigilant. Ray acknowledged threats to the Jewish community are at historic levels. The Jewish community is uniquely, uniquely targeted by pretty much every terrorist organization across the spectrum. And when you look at a, a group that makes up 2.4% roughly of the American population, it should be jarring to everyone that that same population accounts for something like 60% of all religious-based hate crimes. Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas fielded questions on DHS attempts to keep track of known terrorists crossing the southern border. Individuals that pose a risk to our national security are our highest enforcement priority. And the impact of millions who have illegally crossed under President Biden's watch. Where did these six million people go? Are you keeping track of them? To what extent do we have a handle on where these six million people are in America? Senator, as you well know, when an individual is indeed released, they are released into immigration enforcement proceedings and are subject to removal if they do not have a legal basis to remain in the United States. You're not answering fact, the question. One of Director Ray's major concerns is the number of terrorist organizations explicitly calling for attacks in the U.S., which bumps the current threat risk to a whole new level. And a lot of the conversation that we have been seeing over these last couple of weeks is the increase in anti-Semitism and the rhetoric we're seeing on college campuses. A number of incidents in which threats were made, particularly against members of the Jewish community at Harvard and Cornell. And lawmakers, both Republican and Democrat, are speaking out against that. The president and the White House also saying uh, that they will be taking a closer look at what's been going on on college campuses and the rise of anti-Semitism. And, of course, their also noting any any hate speech against any religion uh, will come under closer scrutiny here over these next few weeks and months. White House on AI. President Biden this week released a new executive order on artificial intelligence. In short, the White House is ordering federal agencies to, at the same time, deploy the use of AI and watch out for and prevent potential bias. It would require people who are developing AI, companies who are developing AI, to follow some new safety guidelines as well. It would create industry standards, both in the private and public sector, to be able to tell what is AI-created content. And sometimes online, it's pretty easy to spot AI-created content. There was a story that came out at the end of this week about Microsoft and MSN, and they used to have human beings, or they used to import stories from other websites that were written by people, but a lot of different websites were seeing it in a lot of smaller and local newspapers around the country, smaller websites around the country that deal with local news, are turning to artificial intelligence to write their news stories. And so this would create standards and would be, and would make it so that there would be there would be systems in place to better be able to tell AI-generated content over content created by human beings. We'll touch more on this story on next week's show, but for now, with Congress still trying to work its way through all of the different tentacles of AI, 
This will be the government standard, both on how to use it and how to keep the bad stuff from taking over until Congress is able to pass some laws or a czar to oversee things or whatever it is that they're going to do. I guess the White House would would appoint a czar, but whatever it is Congress is going to do until they get their, their act figured out with regards to artificial intelligence, this White House executive order will be the state of play in Washington. Biden on retirement security. The president also this week announced a crackdown on junk fees in retirement plans. Today, the Department of Labor is proposing a new rule, meaning that when you pay someone for retirement advice, they must give you advice that's in your best interest, not whether it gets them the best payday. If they don't, if they breach their fiduciary duty, they could face serious penalties, including having to pay restitution and additional financial penalties. It will protect seniors from being exploited. It will protect many trustworthy financial advisors out there who are doing the right thing from unfair competition. Now they won't be undercut by competitors willing to use deception or underhanded tactics to make a profit. These junk fees are financial conflicts of interest that can exist when a financial advisor gives investment advice to people who are saving for retirement. And this proposal would look to close some loopholes in the current law that sometimes allows a trusted advisor to recommend an investment that are not necessarily in the saver's best interest, but that would maybe pay the advisor a higher commission. Now, the rule is going to look at three main areas. Recommendations to roll over money from 401k plans to IRAs. Two, to buy non-securities products like indexed annuities. And three, to offer certain investments to 401k participants. Now, you look at these numbers, this is going to affect a whole lot of people. In 2020, about 5.7 million Americans rolled a total of $618 billion from 401ks into IRAs. People also funneled $79 billion into indexed annuities in 2022. That was a record for that year. And uh, 86 million people were investing in 401k-type plans as of 2019. And so uh, the White House says that the hidden costs of these financial conflicts in retirement plans amount to junk fees. And they've been hitting at junk fees hard since President Biden came into office, looking to try and eradicate junk fees in all sorts of different areas of, of life. The White House says that by doing this, they can reduce a middle-class household's retirement savings by 20%, amounting to perhaps tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. So this would be, a sense, essentially trying to get that money back to, uh, to, to save them uh, that, that 20% that they had been losing because financial advisors would recommend certain products that would net them a higher commission but necessarily wouldn't result in the person who's investing for retirement, wouldn't, wouldn't result in them saving money. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this is enforced, but this is the plan the White House is putting out to try and allow you the, to to save more to save more of the money that you're putting away and maybe have it invested a, a little bit more wisely. We'll see how this all plays out. SCOTUS hearing on social media. There were an interesting couple of cases at the Supreme Court this week as justices heard arguments over whether public officials have the right to block people from communicating with them on social media. CBN's Hillary Powell with more on what the justices had to say. Well, as one counsel put it, social media is the new town square. The question remains, how do you protect everyone's right to free speech and expression 
in that space. The justices who heard arguments today seem to be concerned about whether government-affiliated social media users are acting in their official capacity when they're using social media that they also conduct business on. Citizens, you and I, we can block anyone we want from our social media accounts because we're not government officials. So the line is really between if you're acting as a private citizen or are you acting as a public official? Tuesday's cases, O'Connor Ratliff versus Garnier and Linky versus Freed, involve whether social media falls under First Amendment protection for California school board officials and a Michigan city manager who blocked social media users for comments they saw as harassment. In the California case, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled two California school board members violated the First Amendment by blocking two parents who criticized them on their personal Facebook and Twitter accounts. Lawyers for the parents argue the justices should side with the lower court. Receiving feedback from constituents is an important part of their duties as trustees. The content and appearance of the page confirms that the finding, the district court's finding, that these pages were, quote, used as a tool of governance. Because the trustees were doing their job when they maintained and then blocked Dr. and Mrs. Garnier from these pages. Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson wants to clarify duties of public officials. I mean, can we believe that, say, the mayor's duties include receiving feedback from the public if, if there was a duty to get feedback from the public? Lawyers for the school board members suggest a social media page can't automatically be assumed to be part of a public official's duties. She suggested that the page was somehow their duty. One of my clients closed the page, just shut it down. No one thinks he was acting in breach of his office. He was in dereliction of duty. Whatever the outcomes, the justice's decision may have implications for which users are deemed too toxic for Twitter or Facebook. These are, are the first of a total of five cases that the Supreme Court will hear this term regarding social media as it relates to government. Mike Pence is out. Former Vice President Mike Pence, who we interviewed for this podcast a few weeks ago at the Pray Vote Stand Summit, told a crowd of Jewish Republicans at an event last weekend in Las Vegas that he was bowing out of the 24 presidential race. But the Bible tells us that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. I'm traveling across the country over the past six months. I came here to say it's become clear to me this is not my time. So after much prayer and deliberation, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. Now, I'm leaving this campaign, but let me promise you, I will never leave the fight for conservative values, and I will never stop fighting to elect principled Republican leaders to every office in the land. Pence was hoping that his time as President Trump's vice president, as well as his family first pro-life, pro-Ukraine funding message would resonate with traditional and evangelical Republicans. But polling showed him continuing to lag far behind the rest of the field. And the next Republican debate, which is next week, could see a significant winnowing of the field if other candidates don't see a bump in their numbers. And of course, Donald Trump once again will not be there at this third Republican debate. Republican senators turn on Tuberville. It appears as though Republicans in the Senate are starting to turn on their colleagues' hold on military promotions because of the Pentagon's abortion policy. The Senate tried to bring up roughly 115 individual promotions this week, all of which were blocked individually 
by Senator Tuberville to go along with his blanket hold on promotions. Senator Dan Sullivan, a Republican, says Senator Tuberville's actions are hurting our military. It is estimated by the end of this year, 89% of all general officer positions in the United States military will be affected by the current holds from Senator Tuberville. Either they, our members have to be forced to retire, positions not filled, an acting capacity will be unable to retire. This is pretty much the entire officer corps. This is hugely disruptive to readiness, Mr. Chairman. Couple examples, 288 one and two star generals being held. These are the men and women who run the military right now. Senator Tuberville had placed the blame on Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer for all of these delays, saying Schumer could have at any time brought these military promotions up for votes individually. Of course, that would take months, but Republicans have begun to do that for some of the higher level promotions. Senator Joni Ernst, another Republican, slams Tuberville for reneging on his promise to allow individual service member promotions to receive a vote on the Senate floor. We have done the best that we can to honor the request of a fellow senator that these nominations be brought to the floor and voted on individually. And I really respect men of their word. I do not respect men who do not honor their word. And Republican Senator Lindsey Graham worries this could do damage to keeping good people in place. You've just denied this lady a promotion. You did that. All of us are ready to promote her because she deserves to be promoted. She had nothing to do with this policy. If we take back the White House, we'll go back to the Mexico City policy, limiting dollars to be given to overseas entities that are engaged in the abortion business. Some pro-choice people don't like that. What would happen if they put a hold on all the officers because they don't agree with the Republican administration? There's a reason this, is, this has not been done this way for a couple hundred years. No matter where you believe it or not, Senator Turbeville, this is doing great damage to our military. I don't say that lightly. I've been trying to work with you for nine months. Folks, if this keeps going, people are going to leave. Republicans Todd Young and Mitt Romney joined in trying to push through these top-level promotions. Tuberville argued that he is not harming military readiness. He said, I have to respectfully disagree with my colleagues about the effect of my hold on readiness. My hold is not affecting readiness. And he insisted he will continue his hold, quote, until the Pentagon follows the law or the Democrats change the law. Tuberville believes Pentagon policy that pays for female service members to travel to another state to have an abortion is in violation of the Hyde Amendment, which forbids federal money to be used for abortions. All right, that's going to do it for your debrief. And now let's get into our deep dive for the week. Well, it is a pleasure to be joined by Republican Congressman Mike Collins of Georgia. Congressman Collins made a name for himself during the speakership battle as uh, he really tried to tweet through the controversy and uh, and the tension uh, with some terrific social media posts on X and uh, his use of memes. He's become known for that as one of the one of the funnier members of Congress, but also a serious legislator as well. And so we thought this would be a good time to get a chance to get to know him a little bit. Congressman Collins, thank you for for coming on the DC debrief. How are you? Well, it's uh, it's Thursday afternoon. It's a great day. We're back at work and uh, trying to get 
work done for the American people, which we were sent up here to do. And I know that it was must have been frustrating for you and your colleagues during those 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 three weeks when you were looking for a new speaker, going yeah. through the many different candidates and all of the, the the fighting that was going on. And I'm sure there are so many layers to that that it really we just don't have time to get into. But I really thought your approach on social media, particularly on X, just trying to tweet through it with memes, I thought was yeah. was really effective because everybody was taking it so seriously. And of course it was very serious, but you were shining the lighter side of it. And I thought that was really important. What was your motivation behind that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm from the South and, uh, and, and it was, it's a very serious situation and it was, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, as most people from the South, I'll tell you, I mean, we've got a little bit of humor streak in us, no matter what we're doing, whether it's uh you can take old Jeff Foxworthy or old Louis Grizzard that used to be around or, or any good Baptist church on Sunday morning. There's going to be a joke or two in there somewhere, <laughs> you know, so it's just a little light humor just to just to break the tension, you know, yeah. and, and it was a good time to do that. It worked well. Uh, we're it, as a matter of fact, it's it's enabled us to really continue to get our message out, but to so many more people now. So I'm grateful for that part of it. Yeah, I think it was a breath of fresh air and people just can kind of it was a, just a way to realize that, you know, and some of it was was kind of farcical almost. And I think you were kind of shining a light on that a, a little bit as well. Yeah. And just if you, I know you're this has been, you know, your first year in Congress. Uh, can you describe for me the, what the first 10 months has been like as a, as a new member? Oh, wow. I'm going to tell you, a small business person um, started several businesses. I've worked side by side with my wife for 32 of 34 years. Mm. And usually in small business, you know, when you make a decision, it's done, you know, that's, yeah. that's it in the discussion. But up here, you know, there's 435 people that want to make that decision. And <laughs> yeah. so it's been, even with speaker, you know, you, you, you take who you want it to be, but then you've got to make sure that everybody else is on the same page you are. I think that's been one of the hardest things for me to learn is just the fact that uh, when Mikey says it, it may not always be exactly so right then. <laughs> Right. No. And, and now you are you've, you're one of six candidates who have thrown their hat into the ring uh, for the vice chair position, which is, again, as I mentioned, uh, the, the, the spot that uh, the new speaker once held. Yeah. What has been your pitch to the conference that that you're the one for the job? It's real easy. You know, you take even in my private life, um, I've always wanted to be the most technologically advanced, safest, uh, most productive in whatever company that I start trucking, for instance. And that's always allowed us to be the best uh, in our industry. I can't tell you how many times I've won trucking company of the year. And it's because we like to push that that new technology. And when you look at the Republican Party and you take those memes, for instance, let's mm -hmm. just use those as an example. We're reaching an entirely different audience. Uh, Republicans have always been known for having great policy, but really bad strategy on med messaging. And it's because we still do the same things that we always did, whether it was print media, TV or, or radio. Hmm. And I'm talking about just local TV. And so that's our message as far as what we want to do to help get the conference message out is to reach a new group of people that can help us expand the conference by using different social media platforms, just like your platform right here more people that are 45 and younger more than ever don't even have tv at their house yeah. everything they get for information 
is sitting right there in front of them, and that's their phone. And whether it's a podcast or a meme, you know, and whether it's funny or serious, I really don't care. As long as I can get you into the church, we'll let your preacher do the rest and <laughs> present the message and get you across on the message side. And that's the way I've always looked at it. And plus, you know, we've all, we've been working for this conference even before I got elected. You know, I, I went out across the country campaigning for other candidates. So we've been doing a lot here with field hearings since we've been elected. Yeah. I love to work. Uh, it's it's in my DNA. And I, I think that we could be a great asset to the conference in a behind the scenes position, which is what this is. It's it's not a glamour shots type thing where you're yeah. out front. You're in the back working. Yeah, and I know that there's a lot of work going on right now with regard to some of the different funding packages that are going to need to yeah. be going to need to be discussed. And and we're speaking on Thursday afternoon. There's going to be a lot of discussion about the aid to Israel package. And I know there's been a desire to link it to or to uh, pay for it to cut make cuts to the IRS. And um, yeah. there's been a lot of conversation about whether or not to tie it to Ukraine. Obviously, I know many in your conference are against that idea. Can you talk a little bit about where we are as we record here on Thursday afternoon with the Israel funding and what your position is on that? All right. Well, we're going to take up the funding for Israel tonight. Uh, I think some of our votes started at 1130 tonight, so we should walk off around one, I think is the estimated time. But let's take Israel, Israel versus Ukraine. It's, it's apples and oranges. Uh, first of all, you're talking about an invasion of land on Ukraine side from Russia somebody that just wants to reclaim the old Soviet Union. It's not about the people. Now, on Israel's side, this is about genocide. This is about a group that wants to wipe an entire race off the face of the earth. They don't care where they're at. They mm -hmm. don't care about the property as much as they care about killing every Jewish person there is on this earth. And that we've got to stop. That's two different things. The European Union should step up to Ukraine and help them. We've, we've done way more than our share to, to protect that border up there. So it's time for you. And the other thing that we could do with Ukraine, it'd be so simple, is to go back to producing our own oil. I mean, how do you think Vladimir Putin got all the money that he's got to fund this war? Hmm. It's because he's selling oil, because we don't produce our own anymore. We're buying it from people that hate us, including Russia. So we could we could easily remedy that problem over there. But my faith also tells me we are to protect Israel, period. And uh, it's in the Bible. And so from my faith standpoint, from a standpoint of these people are uh, are being attacked by a terrorist group that want to kill them, uh, tells me that it's, it's kind of a no brainer in my book. Are you concerned at all about some of the resistance, even from some Republicans in the Senate, about tying about about using a pay for of cutting funding to the to the IRS in, in order to 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 balance the the, the cost of, of funding Israel? I know the CBO came out yesterday and essentially said it would actually cost more uh, than it would oh, negate anything. But I know the CBO oh, is a controversial <laughs> group with some folks. It's it's not that. All right. Well, let's I mean, let's put this out plainly because I, I, I I'm I'm a simple type of guy mm -hmm. all right so so we're we're taking 14 billion away from the IRS to fund Israel and and that's much needed as a matter of fact you know how they came up with the 14 billion Netanyahu and them sat down and itemized exactly what they needed mm -hmm. this wasn't just a pie in the sky number so it's people that told us exactly what they were looking for and where they needed help 
That's first of all. 26 billion, that's the, the CBO's estimate. What they never factor in there is where does that money stay if the IRS doesn't collect it? It stays in the private sector. And what does it do in the private sector? It'll turn over seven times, generating far more than 26 billion that it, that was when it sucked out of the economy in one fell swoop by the IRS. So, you know, you can throw me in that argument all day long because <laughs> it's been proven over and over. Two things. You lower taxes and you keep money in the private sector, you'll get more tax revenue in there. And two, if you keep the IRS off of the backs of the American entrepreneurial, which over 90 percent of the business out there are small businesses where they don't have to spend all their time with accountants trying to stay out of trouble with the IRS, which is bogus because you have to prove that you're innocent with that crowd, mm. then the better off this country is. So I have no problem taking it to, to task with the IRS. Looking at the government shutdown possibility in a few weeks, I know the, the speakership battle prevented you all from really being able to make any headway on, on the many appropriations yeah. bills that, that are out there. It sounds as though Speaker Johnson wants to have a, uh, wants to have a stopgap measure put in place until mid-January. Do you think that's going to happen in November? Do you think we will avoid a government shutdown? You know, I, I, I do this. I, I, I take the same attitude that I took last time, and that is... I am not going to commit. I want to push this to the last day mm -hmm. to, to see how many appropriation bills we get out. Because to me, once you say that word that shall not be said, <laughs> CR, <laughs> sure. uh -huh. you know, everybody quits focusing on appropriations. You know, it, it, it's amazing uh, how we go back to the old, you know, kick the can down the road. It, but but I understand the reasoning now on on what we've got to do. I think there is also a push to maybe go towards uh, April. And, and the reason that is, is because if you don't do the appropriations by December 31st, a 1% cut kicks in automatically. But it's not, it doesn't go into play until the first quarter. So that's why the push to the end of April to really force the hand on everybody to make sure these appropriation bills get done. Mm -hmm. But, but there's a second part to that, making sure we get appropriations done. It's not just the budget number of, of, of cutting funding, but there's that, that, that rules and regs side over there that we've got to rein in because we've had almost 10 years of nothing but omnibus bills where we just stacked up piles of money, throw it at a federal agency and say, Hey, We'll see you next year. Have a great year. And, and they have just been emboldened and, and the, the amount of overreach. And these people were all hired during the Obama administration. So you can imagine where their ideology really sits. And so between their overreach, their, their excessive regulations that they're constantly imposing on individuals and small businesses across this country, that's where we've got to really hone in and cut out and defund those rules and those regs. I'm excited because we've got several amendments coming up today uh, on some different issues that uh, we feel like the federal government has really overstepped their bounds and hopefully rein them back in. That's why I continue to focus and say we've got to pass approach, pass approach. We get up to the last day. I don't care if we stay here till midnight. Mm -hmm. Then we do whatever we've got to do to, to make sure that our military and our personnel are funded. That's the main people I worry about. The rest of that is going to be paid. 
Last thing for you here, sir. And I notice on on your social media accounts, you post a Bible verse every Sunday as well. Yeah. And obviously, this is a, a a Christian network, a Christian ministry. I'm very much enjoying getting a chance to know you, and and, and would love to know a little bit more about your faith journey. Uh, kind of, you know, uh, where it where you are right now uh, in, in your faith, yeah. and how it how it affects your your legislative uh, uh, priorities. Well, you know, uh, my dad always said always said you 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 can have God without government, but you can never have government without God. And if you think about that, that simple little statement is very profound because morale, morality, everything can fit into that. You can't have government without God. Hmm. You wouldn't have a society. You'd have a ruthless uh, whatever out there. But as far as my personal faith, I mean, man, I'm from the South. You know, my grandmother, she picked me up every Sunday if we weren't going to church. I was going to church. Yes, sir. And uh, so I grew up early on in the Methodist church on Sunday morning. And then my granddaddy went to the Baptist church. So I went to, to choir practice at the Baptist church on Sunday nights and uh, on Wednesday nights. So I was always in the church. Uh, and I think that's that's a lot of what we're missing now is morality and, and, and a, a godly influence. Uh, even when we took God out of prayer and, and, and prayer out of the schools, because you and when I think back on my early days, when I could only ride a bicycle to town, that's where we met. We met at the church and, and we hung out there. And so we were always close to that. And we always had that uh, talk to us and preach to us. And, and uh, you know, and so it was it was not that complicated to give my life to Christ. Uh, and, and of course I got married at the uh, age of 21 and, uh, to a girl that was a Baptist. And, uh, so you know where we went to church after that. It wouldn't do all, you know, we're going to Baptist church. <laughs> uh, so, but, uh, have recently, uh, been going to, uh, uh, an Episcopalian church is the way, well, brother Beanie puts it. And, uh, and it's, uh, we've got a congregation, I think just North of like 11,000 people in this uh, little town that really has no town. <laughs> but uh, it's exciting to be part of a group of great faith-based people. Mm. So. I would encourage everyone to, to to follow Congressman Collins on Twitter. It's at Rep Mike Collins. And, uh, and just uh, follow along with what he's doing there. It's uh, been a pleasure getting to know you, sir. And thank you for taking some time here with CBN News and the DC Debrief. We really appreciate it. Hey, you know, John, I, I, I'll tell you this. It's an honor to represent the 10th District of Georgia and Georgia and the country to a large extent uh, here in Washington, D.C. And the day that uh, I feel like it's not an honor and then I can't contribute, then uh, it's time for me to hang it up, get back into the trucking business. <laughs> well, looking ahead to next week, some some big moments coming up. Actually, so first off, this Sunday, it's daylight savings time. So before you go to bed uh, on Saturday night, make sure to set your clocks back an hour. And I know there had been some conversations in the Senate last year or the year before about trying to do away either with daylight savings time or standard time, but it doesn't appear as though that's happening anytime soon. On Monday, the trial in Donald Trump's um, uh, well, the trial brought it by New York Attorney General Letitia James against the Trump organization will continue. And former President Trump 
is expected to testify on Monday morning. So we will certainly be keeping an eye on that. Also, the Senate Judiciary Committee will hold a field hearing in Georgia on abuse in foster care. Uh, That could be uh, of interest, and we'll be keeping an eye on that one as well. On Tuesday, it's election day for these off-year elections. A number of states are holding off-year elections, including maybe the biggest one in Virginia. Uh, So that will have some potential national ramifications, or at least let us read the tea leaves uh, on what's going to be happening uh, in 2024. DHS Secretary Mayorkas and HHS Secretary Becerra will testify at a Senate Appropriations Committee uh, to review the National Security Supplemental Request. And then uh, there will also be a House Judiciary Committee hearing on uh, the Bureau of Prisons, an oversight hearing on the Bureau of Prisons with the Bureau of, Pr- Bureau of Prisons Director Colette Peters. Senate Judiciary will also hold a hearing on social media and youth mental health on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, you'll have the third GOP presidential debate in Miami. Uh, The House Foreign Affairs Subcommittee will hold a hearing on U.N. bigotry towards Israel. And there will be a couple of other uh, Israel hearings in the House as well as uh, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee holding a hearing on security interests in Ukraine. So that's what's coming up next week in Washington. All right, now time for the closer. And George Santos is staying at least for a little while longer. Although in a couple of weeks, the Ethics Committee will issue its findings and then he could be brought up for expulsion again. But for right now, he's safe. The the effort to expel him was led by a group of his own first-term New York Republicans. Uh, Santos is facing 23 federal charges uh, and he's going to have a September 2024 trial date. Um over over essentially falsifying and, and lying to the American people. That's what he's accused of in, in order to be elected president. There's also some uh, financial corruption charges against him as well. Um, there were 31 Democrats who voted not to expel Santos, including Senate hopeful Colin Allred of Texas, Congressional Black Caucus Chair Representative Stephen Horsford, and Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. Uh, they... There have been criticisms by those who wanted Santos expelled that these Democrats in particular wanted to keep Santos in his seat because it would be easier to run against him if he runs for re-election next year. It's still very much up in the air whether or not Santos will be the Republican nominee. Uh, But uh, there were some Republicans who also wanted to hold on to Santos because with that slim four-vote majority in the House, they need his vote on different items. And so uh, there were reasons why it wasn't just a cut-and-dry vote to kick him out of office. But uh, Congressman Santos still alive, at least for now, as a member of the House of Representatives. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of the D.C. Debrief. And again, my thanks to Congressman Collins for joining me here on the podcast. Again, a friendly reminder, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts, and tell a friend or a family member to sign up and subscribe to the podcast. That would help tremendously uh, for this podcast to grow out in the Internet world. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on the D.C. Debrief.